and then there was the one when they um, the boys tried to like uh, ruin the girl's sleepover party. And they like that. put a ghost outside on a, on oh, a string, yes. a flashlight, oh, yeah. and I think they put itching powder in the sleeping bag. Yes, I remember that. I was talking to my brother and sister not long ago. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Rich. We were taking a little trip down memory lane and back to our childhoods growing up in the 70s and 80s. Every weekday in the late afternoon, sometime between school and dinner, we can't remember exactly. It was a big part of our, our dinner time routine. I think it was on when we were eating. But was it on at night or after school? After school. But every weekday, Boston's Channel 56 would run back-to-back -back syndicated episodes of one of our favorite shows, The Brady Bunch. And every weekday, my siblings and I, all five of us, one Brady shy of a bunch in our own right, would gather in front of the old 19-inch television set to watch and re-watch and re-watch the escapades of the Brady family. I remember the one with something with Kitty Carroll and, um... Over the years, we'd seen every episode so many times that we could tell which one it was within the first few seconds of the opening camera shots. Then there was the bully at the school. I'm trying to remember what his name was. Oh, Buddy Hinton? Buddy Hinton. Oh, yes. um, and when Marsha got hit in the nose of the but, uh, Yeah, football. on my nose. That was definitely a classic. But uh, yeah, something For us, and a generation like us, The Brady Bunch was more than just a sweet and wholesome sitcom about a large blended family living under one roof with their live-in housekeeper. The Bradys were like an extension of our own family. We saw a bit of ourselves in the characters. We related to the situations they found themselves in. And many times, we longed for the close-knit warmth we saw on screen. It had the feeling of a special extended family gathering, the kind that in real life happens rarely, but for the Brady clan was daily life, and was delivered to us, in our case twice daily, in neat, tidy half-hour installments. That homey, cozy, familial vibe of course lends itself well to the Christmas season. So you might find it surprising that, out of 117 episodes across five seasons, the total number of Christmas-themed Brady episodes is just one. Here's the story. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. The episode we're talking about is titled The Voice of Christmas. It originally aired in 1969 during season one of the show. Like I said, I've seen every episode of The Brady Bunch multiple times, but this one I've seen comparatively fewer than others. And that makes perfect sense. Christmas episodes don't receive the same level of rotation and syndication as do the more evergreen episodes. But now that everything is on one streaming service or another, I can watch it whenever I want. Just like I did recently. And to really make it an authentic viewing, I wanted to share my experience with family. And since, like I said, the Brady Bunch themselves are like a surrogate family for me, I thought, why not watch it with one of them? Hi, this is Christopher Knight. Yep, Christopher Knight, who played Peter Brady. And these days he is, among many other things, the co-host of The Real Brady Bros, a podcast where he and former castmate Barry Williams discussed past episodes of The Brady Bunch. You've also seen him recently on Dancing with the Stars, A Very Brady Makeover, and a host of other places. And the first thing I wanted to know was whether it was true, as I had heard, that The Voice of Christmas was a pivotal episode for The Brady Bunch, as it provided a ratings boost that helped the show really find its footing with viewers. The ratings for The, um, the Voice of Christmas sort of got us that first pickup, because we were, for all but the fourth seasons, picked up for 13 episodes, and then, you know, in the, the follow-on 11 or 12 or 10 or whatever it was in that particular year. But... Um, we had a pilot in 13 episodes, and 
would have to wait. I think we did 25, so that's right there. That's 14, so 11 more episodes were the backside of that season. But to get that pickup, um, one had to be confident from the ratings that occurred from September through February. And the ratings, I guess, in December were um, suggestive to those in power that this is a show that should uh, get its mid-season pickup um, and not just disappear after 13 weeks. So. The other thing that makes this episode special is that, as I said before, out of five seasons of The Brady Bunch, this is the one and only Christmas episode. Why? We're Friday night, and around Christmas, you, you get preempted a lot around Christmas with Christmas specials. And, you know, they're mapping out their, uh, their schedule in advance. And I guess we never mapped out well enough to do another Christmas episode because I felt the same way. We should have done a Christmas episode every season. But even though any proper fan of the Bradys would have loved to see more Christmas episodes, the very nature of the Brady family itself, where every day is a large and bustling family gathering, more than makes up for it. We are Christmas the other 11 months of the year. It is the same sentiment. If you look at Christmas, what does Christmas do? Um, and what do Christmas programming um, mostly try to engender. Um, and that is this brotherhood, this feeling of warmth and uh, acceptance and camaraderie. It, it's the month to put differences down and to feel warm, jolly, um, happy, um, hopeful. And all, those are all kind of elements that were the Brady's. We'll have to be content with the one Christmas episode we've been given, which brings us those familiar themes of a child's wish and a Christmas miracle. I like to call it this, the miracle on Clinton Avenue um, because it has it has the same tone that Miracle on 34th Street had. The episode begins with a festive scene. Mike and Alice are in the den wrapping Christmas gifts together at a card table. These gifts are all wrapped with wrapping that probably is more expensive than the gift inside. Um, if you haven't noticed, it's just such extravagant wrapping. It's the kind of wrapping you'd never do at home. It's the kind of wrapping you get when you're going to Bloomingdale's and having them wrap it. Um, or a professional wrapper comes over and wraps all your gift. I thought, hmm, I've never seen wrapping like that. And right away, we learn that one of those gifts will prove pivotal to the whole plot. Mike has gotten Carol a gift with a specific purpose in mind. Right, because we learn we learn that they're, they're, they're wrapping the gifts, um, and Mike has gotten Carol a tape recorder because we learn that she's going to be singing at church, singing a solo at church on Christmas morning, and Alice is even expecting Carol to, in her own words, knock the congregation right out of their pews with her singing. And by the way, this is also the only episode where we ever hear about the Brady family belonging to a church. But right before the first commercial break, we learn of the complication that threatens Carol's solo, Mike's gift, and Christmas itself. The first Christmas the newly formed Brady Bunch will spend as a family. Carol has suddenly lost her voice and with mere days to go until Christmas. There's only a, uh, an idea of how many days there are until Christmas, but it's not many. Maybe less than a week before Christmas is uh, upon us. So um, they're hoping that yeah, she can get this uh, strained out. And in classic sitcom fashion, various members of the household will try their own approach to get Carol on the mend, only to see complications and hilarity ensue. 
Straight and Narrow Mike, for instance, wants Carol to follow doctor's orders and rest her voice and use a vaporizer while the laryngitis runs its course. Alice, on the other hand, whips up a batch of her grandmother's home remedy, a concoction that's soaked into a towel and wrapped around the throat. The only problem is the stuff smells absolutely terrible. And this thing smells so bad, Mike doesn't want to kiss him. Of course he does, but um, I can only imagine how bad something like that must smell. So that was Alice's remedy. And while Carol rests at home with what Mike referred to as Alice's witch's brew, Mike, realizing that the tape recorder would go over like a lead balloon on Christmas morning, decides to go to the department store to return the gift and finish his own Christmas shopping. He takes Cindy along with him to meet Santa Claus at the store, and in a move you'd never see today, on TV or, let's hope, in real life. He leaves her in the line to see Santa as he um, is taking back a gift. So he has to go take care of that. And Cindy tells him she's six years old when he asks if it's okay. She suggests that he should just leave her in line and says, you are okay. I'm six years old. When it's finally Cindy's turn with Santa, she sits in his lap and tells him her surprising and selfish Christmas wish. She's the one who asked Santa, not for anything for herself, but for her mother to get her voice back, which is already endearing, right? That you have a child six years old who doesn't want anything for themselves other than their mommy to be able to sing at church. And that is the essence of the Brady Bunch. I mean, that is about how everyone rallies around the person who needs help. As sweet as it is for little Cindy to ask for her mom's return to health, it actually creates another problem. Because even though Department Store Santa Etiquette 101 and basic common sense would dictate that you never promise a child anything specific, in this case, Santa tells Cindy that Carol will have her voice back on Christmas morning. When Cindy tells Mike the good news, Mike is incredulous and tells her that Santa can't promise that because he's not a doctor. He's, when Mike it says he can't promise you that, he's not a doctor. She's better than a doctor. He's Santa Claus. <laughs> it's adorable. It's adorable and it works. And at that moment is the moment for you know, being the miracle on 34th Street moment. Well, Mike immediately wants to confront this Santa for making a promise he can't keep. So he apparently once again leaves Cindy somewhere on her own in the store and somehow gains access to the employee locker room. Because when we return from the commercial break, Mike is confronting Santa as he changes out of his costume. It was truthful, you know, you don't want to disappoint, you know, in those, uh, what did you say, the, those big baby blues. Anything to make the child happy in the moment is probably what the Santa Claus's goal is. So um, I thought, I, I thought it, was, it was interesting that they had Mike hounding Santa <laughs> as much as he did. Um, even going back into the private dressing area for Santa Claus to, uh, to give him a piece of his mind. We're at a critical point in the story now. Carol is despairing of her laryngitis and all of the complications it may bring. While on the other hand, Cindy is buoyed by a false promise provided by none other than Santa Claus himself. This is the time in any Brady Bunch episode where the sentimental music comes on and one of the parents sits down with one of the children to share some wisdom and teach some lesson. In this case, Mike sits Cindy down on the backyard seesaw and tells her not to get her hopes up too high. And if this were a normal episode, that would be enough. But this is a Christmas episode, so we actually get not one, but two teaching moments. The real lecture, the real advice comes from Alice. It happens on Christmas Eve. We see Greg restlessly awake in bed. Unable to sleep, he goes downstairs to sit by the Christmas tree. 
Soon, Marsha, presumably feeling the same restlessness and getting the same idea as Greg, comes downstairs to join him. Soon after, Peter and Jan come downstairs too. They're all commiserating about the gloomy situation. They're there lamenting how, you know, it's a drag and that mom doesn't have her voice for Christmas, can't sing at church, and it's just not fair. And Marsha comes up with the idea, let's cancel Christmas. Um, and Alice has heard the noise. So Alice gives them this incredible advice about, okay, we'll cancel Christmas. We'll do just what you, you suggest and we'll, you know, take back all the gifts. And, and, um, and then she says, then your parents will be really disappointed. And then they recognize that it's, you know, and we don't need to, we don't need to disappoint our parents. We didn't mean to disappoint our parents. No, we will do Christmas. And, and it's a touching little moment. And to really cap off her lesson, Alice reminds the kids that this will be their first Christmas together as a combined family. The first time we, we, we're absolutely reminded of it is by Alice. You're right. This is our first Christmas together. The kids, having seen the light, go back to bed. Then we cut to Christmas morning. We're in Mike and Carol's bedroom. Both are lying in bed asleep, but Carol is actually humming O Come All Ye Faithful in her sleep. Mike, hearing this, wakes Carol up, and they discover together that it's a Christmas miracle. Carol has her voice back, and she'll be able to do her church solo after all. For the climactic scene, we cut to a church where Carol, looking angelic in white and standing in front of a stained glass window, stands at the pulpit singing her solo to the congregation. Florence Henderson, who played Carol, really was a singer. Prior to joining the cast of The Brady Bunch, she had extensive experience in live theater, including Broadway. That really is her singing voice we hear in the episode. And more than that, the episode was shot in early October of 1969. The cast had only been working together for about three months at that point. The filming of this episode was the first time many of them had ever heard Florence sing before. So the reactions we see from the cast as they sit in the pews listening to her sing is genuine. We, we haven't known each other that long. But we'd heard that um, she has, you know, a wonderful voice. And um, this was our first opportunity to hear that voice. So what you're seeing is us recognizing as well just how angelic and wonderful um, of, of, of a singer she was. In the final little wrap-up scene, we find Cindy sitting at her desk on a day we assume to be a few days after Christmas. She's writing a letter to Santa, thanking him for making good on his promise to restore Carol's voice in time for Christmas. Mike, not wanting to spoil Cindy's feeling of triumph, simply tells her that Christmas is indeed a season of miracles. There will always be a place in my heart and memory for the Brady Bunch, especially at Christmas time. I have their 1970 Christmas album, Christmas with the Brady Bunch, and I remember how excited I was to watch a very Brady Christmas when it premiered in 1988. I wonder if my young son will enjoy the Bradys like I did. Well, there is hope for the younger generation enjoying a Christmas season that includes the Brady Bunch, as Brooklyn in Indiana describes in this Christmas memory. I'm Brooklyn, and I'm age 11, and I live in Indiana. My very Brady Christmas was when me, my mom, and my two sisters all binged watch the Brady Bunch. It made me realize how special family is around the holidays, and how much I loved being the oldest out of four children. I want to hear your Christmas memories, be they Brady-themed or otherwise, and so does the rest of the Christmas Past family. There's still time to send one for this season. 
All you have to do is record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean, and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. My very special thanks to Christopher Knight. What a wonderful treat it was to speak with him and discuss one of my favorite Brady episodes. The Brady Bunch is streaming on Paramount+, and you can find The Real Brady Bros wherever you find podcasts. Thanks also to Brooklyn in Indiana, my sister Jen, my brother Rich, and as always, thank you for listening. You can reach out to me anytime, whether it's to say hi or share a Christmas memory. Again, I'm at christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please do join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again... May your days be merry and bright. <laughs>